My name is Susanna, and on behalf of myself and my friend, housemate, and now co-host, Jemima, welcome to Ours Truly. Today, we have a chat about my recent trip to emergency, unique laughing prints, and whether we have actually been robots this whole time, before diving into our main topic this episode, decisions. Is there a perfect choice? And if so, how do we find it? So put the kettle on, turn up the volume, and come and sit with us. Hi, Susanna. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How has your week been? My week's been wonderful. It's been hard work, but really rewarding. I've launched a webinar series for students around Australia as part of my job. Mm -hmm. And it's just been such a long lead up. I reckon a good five, six, seven weeks of preparation, of speaker engagement. And this week we launched our first two. And it was just wonderful to finally hit play. It must be like when you just rehearse for a theatre performance for so long. It's so, so hidden and nothing ever kind of eventuates. And then you finally see the audience there, like, enjoying what you've invested in. And that was a really beautiful moment twice this week when we launched our first two. I'm so glad for you. You've worked really hard on that. So it's really nice to see that finally coming to fruition. And with such good results. So well done. Thank you. You forget it's real sometimes because you're just doing all the pre-work for so long. You kind of forget that eventually you are going to do it. You yep. get so caught up in like the pre-game. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you had a lovely week. Thank you. How was your week? Um, I had a bit of an up and down week. On Monday, I was just feeling really weird for some reason. I just had an off day, which is a little bit unusual for me without another reason, like if I'm not tired or hungry or, yeah, so there was none of those reasons. I was just feeling a bit off, but you were very kind to me and my fiancé was very kind to me and we got through it. The rest of the week was really good um, until last night I clumsily slipped over in the bathroom and hit myself on the side of the bath and then spent a couple of hours in emergency getting some scans and x-rays done to make sure that nothing is wrong, which it isn't, but now I'm just a little bit sore. <laughs> so, yeah, I might not be laughing as loud this episode as some other some other episodes, just so that I don't, you know, put myself in pain. <laughs> oh, dear. For you, not being able to laugh is probably one of the worst sentences you could be given for a recovery. I think so. I'm st- I mean, obviously, I'm still laughing. It's just the way I usually laugh has changed. So. <laughs> what are the modifications? It's kind of more... I don't know, I'm just trying to to modify it and keep it down. It's a little bit more breathy or like lower, whereas usually um, my fiancé calls it the seal. I will throw my, (laughs) in a very loving way, (laughs) I will throw my head back and um, laugh and often clap my hands if I get really excited about something. You know how seals like snap their flippers together? Yes. Yeah, so that's that's not happening at the moment. That's so endearing (laughs) as well. Yeah, yeah, he's cute. Anyway. (laughs) I think he's got names for a few of your loves, doesn't he? He does. He knows all the different ones. He can and... imitate them too. Yeah. Apparently I have a nose laugh where I'm just like... <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that on the microphone. You do, though. <laughs> I've never thought of it like and that. And I've never noticed the different ways I laugh until he was able to imitate the different types of laughs. But yeah, now I, now I notice. <laughs> and then sometimes start laughing a particular way and then laugh at myself more because I've noticed the way that I'm laughing. You know anyway. what's fascinating among many other things, <laughs> is that we've got a unique voice print. Really? So, um, you know, when they have like password protected things, I mean, 
sure they can be infiltrated and like imitated, but individually we have unique voice prints. And so that yeah. the extension of that would be that we have unique laughing prints. Like can you imagine, you That's know, really if you look at your thumb, you've got a unique pattern, but like vocally and in a laugh, you have a laugh no one else has. Wow. In fact, you have probably five laughs <laughs> no one else has. <laughs> now six. <laughs> now six to with a new modified laugh. So welcome to the club. Thanks. <laughs> Maybe they'll be able, I don't know, they can use that to identify people rather than face technology. You know, if we get like Mission Impossible and start being able to develop different masks they'll make people laugh and um unlock passwords that way Ooh! so instead of us being like um please tell the password it'll be like here's a funny joke and then you laugh <laughs> <laughs> if it's not funny you just have to like keep swiping into it right. tell you one that makes you laugh That's i don't right. think that will actually work but it's, it's a nice thought <laughs> oh i i love them but you know the um please confirm you're not a robot yes i had one that said please confirm your humanity and what? I was like, whoa, what are you going to ask me to do? Do I need to charity? <laughs> it was like such an odd phrasing oh, no. of like a humanal machine. your humanity. Yeah. Just wow. makes you want to yell, oh, the humanity. <laughs> I don't know what that's from, but it's an appropriate expression. <laughs> oh, no. I'm actually terrible at those things. The ones that make you say like, how many photos or how many tiles have a shop in them? Or select all the tiles that have traffic lights in them. I overthink it completely <laughs> and get it wrong like four times in a row. <laughs> and I start questioning my own humanity. Are you I'm actually like, a robot? Maybe I am a robot. I don't know. If you fail the human test, I mean, who are you? Yeah. Anyway, I, I, occasionally I have been kicked out because it thinks I'm a robot because I can't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just like analyze it because there's always a little slip. Like if it's a traffic light, there'll be like one fraction of a traffic light that's on the next square. So I'm like, does that count? Does it not count? Anyway, these are the big <laughs> questions of our day. All right, so we were chatting this week about a number of different things over tea, over coffee, over the tops of our computers while we have great posture looking over the computer screen. Yes. That's been fantastic for our posture. Um, we've recently rearranged our home office. Yes, we have. We had a spare bed and now that is out of the room. And so we have the full room for just our desks now. So we've yeah been experimenting with different formats. It's a work zone. I'd like to install a lighting studio so that every time we're on a Zoom webinar, we've got the perfect lighting. That would actually be so good. Facial tone <laughs> is there. We've got just a permanent filter that looks like we've applied professional makeup. We can have a set of uh, different props to put in the background so it you know, stays interesting for our colleagues. Yes, I feel like in, it'll change each time depending on who you, which client you're trying to engage. Yeah. Like you know that that stakeholder has a particular love of aviation. Yes. So in the background, you've just got like, a little filter of, you know, some model planes and that you look so super good. relevant. And then, I mean, one of my colleagues loves Lego. He he regularly, he's high up in our organization, but he regularly rocks up to staff meetings with a virtual background of different Lego scenes. Wow. But he's kind of so high that he's allowed to do whatever he wants. And then it's great. But I just feel like I wouldn't have the status in the company to do that. <laughs> we just have to keep it more subtle. That's right. Anyway, but what we were discussing, Jem, why didn't you tell us? <laughs> yeah, that none of none of the aforementioned comments were anything that we were actually leading towards in this discussion. But what we were discuss discussing was decisions and how we've made decisions and approached risk in our lives and sort of 
tossed up one option over another, whether that be in our career directions um, and preceding that, our study directions, preceding that, I don't know, different just day-to-day decisions we make in our lives and navigating that whole process. I think it's come up in the context, particularly recently, of year 12 and the pressure that is often put on year 12s either by themselves or by just the general perception of the importance of finishing school and and choosing a career path you have been thinking about and speaking to me and others about that pressure and the importance that is placed on that decision or so it feels at the time and how when once you're a bit more removed from that situation you know now at the end of our degrees looking back it really didn't need that level of pressure and that decision was not as crucial as it felt at the time yeah so how that came up because we've been out of school quite a few years now I was chatting to another um, young guy who you know we've both been out of school seven to ten years and you know at different points in our career having finished university honors masters you name it and sort of progressing forward And we were just both over coffee reflecting about how crazy that time was. And it still makes an impression on us because I think those vulnerable times when we're choosing, they stay with us because they're so emotional in our memory. And he was particularly just, you know, talking about how as a high achiever and things like that, that didn't spare him from this crisis of choice. You know, and in some ways, you know, we've both been fortunate to have a lot of options opened up to us, whether that's through university admissions or just, um, you know, supportive family. Like there was so many things we could choose. So we didn't have the constraints, you know, and what a blessing that was that we didn't have to give up on something that we were hoping for. But in some sense, we had the opposite problem, which was, hi, my name's Life. (laughs) (laughs) Here's 20 options you'd be fine at and that you'd enjoy. Um, Which of those would you like to take? And then there's little us, 17, 18, trying to make the perfect choice. And it was that concept of a perfect choice that I think it would be great to chat about because, you know, over time you realise if you look at it even as a decision tree, you know, one choice leads to another, but there's not – we don't have to apply the standard of perfection to making those individual moves going forward. Absolutely. I think for myself in in year 11 and 12, I was pretty fortunate because I was pretty set on law. And I think that's actually reflective of the way I approach decisions. I can be very impulsive. And then once I've made a decision, I'm pretty stubborn. (laughs) I'll really stick with it. And I don't question it too much. So once a decision is made, I'm like, yep, that's what I'm doing. That's what we're going to go with. So once I had made that decision kind of halfway through year 11, I'd always been interested in it, but then halfway through year 11, I was like, yep, this is definitely what I want to do. Then that just took the pressure away because I didn't have to worry about it. But I definitely saw so many of my friends and yourself to a certain extent as well, really still grappling with that decision all the way through to the end of school and even through a gap year and then going into university. I think now, and certainly at the time we were told this, that by by people who were halfway through uni or at the end of their degrees, they're like, get it's not it's not such a big deal. Even the HSC is not such as big a deal as it seems. Yes, sure, go for it, try your best. 
but it's not the end of the world, which is certainly for me, at least what it's, it seemed like the end of the world. I think now looking back, you're able to have that perspective and see, okay, those people were actually right. Like even if I had chosen something else, if I hadn't got the marks I needed, if I had thought I wanted to go a different a different path, a different way. My happiness is not based on, there's not just one career, one job in the world that is going to make me happy. There are so many different options and there are so many different things that you could do. Abilities aside, like even, you know, you're given a certain set of abilities and talents, but so much of, I think, what we're searching for at that level at when we're at year 12 and we're just like what is what is going to make me happy what is that dream career I, I think that's a little bit of a myth there's there's not just one position that you've got to get to and until you get there you're not going to be happy you can be happy right now and it, and along that process and there might be you know 50 or you know a thousand different jobs that you could do that would make you happy so I think for me looking back I mean I've got a, a sister in year 12 at the moment what I would like to tell her is that, and I think she's actually got a pretty good mentality about it. She's doing very well. Shout out. Love you, Michaela. <laughs> but it is, is that it's okay. And that you, you don't have to have this pressure on this decision. That isn't this perfect decision. Most of the decisions you could take and most of the directions you could take will be equally amazing. They'll be different and they will have different ways. Some might be easier, some might be harder. But you don't have to worry about trying to make the perfect decision because I don't think it really exists. So do you think maybe the basis of a lot of that fear and uncertainty is because what we're setting out to achieve in that moment is a perfect choice? And, you know, if we could maybe understand that that's a fallacy, that's not a realistic goal at that stage. And perfection is not real. In that sense, like if you look at the future and say, what's the perfect future? Well, there isn't a perfect future. There's just the future and what happens. And that's that. I think I came to a similar idea as you in terms of this perfection is not the goal. So, yeah, when we debunk this myth of perfection, well, what is the better alternative? And I think I came to a point just reflecting on this where we shouldn't aim for perfection. We should just aim for the good next step. Wow. Yeah. I think that's a really good mindset change, but what does that actually look like <laughs> in your life? Have you experienced that in, in your decision-making process? Yes. Well, it is funny that you asked me about this, having been privy to a lot of my agonizing decision-making <laughs> processes. We all come from different levels of fearing like the stakes are differently for different people. So if you look at two people that are going to approach rock climbing, yeah. They've got the exact same wall in front of them, exact, exact same instructions, safety nets, everything. But internally, it can be a completely different world. Someone can be terrified. Someone can be eager. So the difference there is this internal attitude towards what we perceive as risky, how safe we think the safeties around us are, um, how much we believe is at stake in this like, task ahead of us. So to put this more concretely, say... Let's put a decision that's not the top decision. So I've already chosen to just study communication, but within that I've got some room to choose electives. So we can call this a tier two decision. It does have you know, an impact in my life, but it's not going to change my degree name. I'm not, it's not the decision. So even in these, and these are scenarios which I find interesting because really the stakes aren't that high on these. But I would approach each one as if it was such an important decision 
I did this in high school, choosing whether to do drama or art or music. I think I've just always had this perfection standard on the perfect, the best way forward. So, you know, I would look at how I've progressed on making these decisions. And for me, it's been a process of actually trying to apply logic to that. Right. So my brain and my heart and my emotions are all saying, this is so important. You have to get it right. This is going to be so significant and it's really weighty. So that's what everything in me is feeling. But at the same time, I have to kind of train myself and be like, well, hang on. You don't need to make a perfect decision. There's multiple good ways forward here. You just need to make a good next step. And it's this point of like having to resign myself of letting go of this perfection ideal so that I can confidently choose something that's good. So for me, what that would look like would be writing down, okay, I've got four subjects to choose from here and say, well, what are the pros and cons of each one that is offered at different times of the day, of the week? Where is my skill gap? Okay, this one isn't as interesting, but I don't know anything about it. So maybe that could be a good area to explore. I think I matured in that approach because I used to err towards things that I would like, which is still really valid. But sometimes you like it because you know it better. Mm. And I noticed in my progression of even just choosing electives, like I was at uni for five and a half years or so with, you know, each semester or two, you could choose sort of something, uh, a subject to just complement what you were studying And I found my perspective change towards seeking out what was uncomfortable and unfamiliar. At the start, I would seek out, yeah, there's so many things I don't know. So there's plenty of other areas to explore. But I found myself in my master's going, wow, I'm paying a lot for this. I don't want to do another subject on something I know. I'm going to choose something that's in a knowledge way scary to me because it's so unfamiliar. So I found myself taking on an accounting elective an economics elective and for the reason that I didn't think I would be good at it. So that sounds like a very logical decision. Actually, you're considering the what you're putting in to that degree, you know, the money that you're paying or what's going on hex and the time you're spending and trying to get the most reward out of it rather than the emotional decision of this other subject's going to be easier. Let's do that. So do you think that your change in the way you make decisions moving towards that more logical process decision making did that affect the way that you made decisions even about electives is is that the reason for the change or was there a different reason oh that's a great question i think i'm an intuitive decision maker so that means that it takes me a lot to get to peace but i really listen to that but until i get to that point there's a lot of sort of emotions of uncertainty and things like that so for me maybe starting from like an emotional decision making basis progressing towards a more logical decision-making basis was the process I needed to go through to get to sort of a healthy balance. Whereas I can imagine there would be people with different starting points needing to move the other, the opposite way to trust their intuition more or, um, but for me, yeah, that was the process. Yeah, I think that's right. I think even the way that we make decisions is very different. You know, We've spoken a lot over our long friendship about different decisions that we're making. And I've always been struck by the way that you talk about the decisions you have in front of you. And I think from what it seems to me, you really put so much more time and effort and energy into considering all of the options and making the right decision. Whereas I, you know, as I said, much more impulsive. I do think about things, particularly bigger decisions or 
if, for example, in my relationship with my fiance, spent a lot of time considering, you know, him as a person and, and our future together and whether we would be compatible as marriage partners and all of that. So I'm not always, you know, <laughs> make a decision within a few seconds, but I think our approach is very different. And one of the things that has kind of come up over a few different times is you talking about the management or evaluation of different levels of risk in the different decisions, which is very interesting to me because when I'm thinking about a decision, I'm not thinking about the risk in each option or the risk of making the wrong decision. I'm really more thinking about the opportunities of that. So yeah, I'm just really interested in the way that you that risk comes into your decision making process. I think risk was a factor for me before I had the language for it. Right. I think what I tried to avoid by spending so long making decisions was avoiding these potentials to fall down to make the wrong decision. So to avoid that, I would put in heaps of time. Just like if you had an important exam, you would study, you'd almost overstudy so that nothing could be thrown at you that you weren't prepared for. So I would make take this whole approach to just making a good decision. And, you know, it would it would stoop into silliness if the decision was something like, I have a busy weekend on, should I just say no to going to this event? And to me, I'm like considering, you know, the perception of myself if I'd said I had to go, but then I, you know, reneged on it and didn't go and how that would relate into my personal integrity with giving my word. And then, but at the same time, you'd think, well, there's 50, 60 people at this party, so... There's also the pride element of thinking that your RSVP is more important than it actually is. And, you know, I just hold all these things <laughs> in tension and it was like, ah, oh, it was no. such a sticky, stuck place to get to mentally. Sounds very frustrating. It's so frustrating. So if I'd have a decision like that, you know, one of the ways of coping with that would just be pushing it back. So not getting back to people because you hadn't decided or there was, you know, rather than just going, no. And just being fine with that. Think, 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 think. And then there's an added pressure of like the timeliness of a decision as well. So it would be like this impending deadline. Getting a decision was like getting an assignment. You had to put, you had to invest time into finding the right conclusion. And then there was a time that you had to get that in by. What was the original question? <laughs> How risk comes into your decision risk. making process. Thank you. So I read a book called Take the Risk. Precisely because I knew I didn't like risks. So there you go. Maybe that was part of my perspective, like <laughs> knowing where I was falling short in that area. And it was by a neurosurgeon called Dr. Ben Carson. Right. Who works at the John Hopkins University in America. I'm not sure which state that is in. Um, but he, I'd read a previous book by him and he has to take a lot of professional risks that have extensive impacts on people's lives. So a patient might come to him and say, I want you to operate because I don't feel like my life is worth living with this. You know, they may have seizures for 80% of their life. Right. Right. So they don't, you know, the risk is that the surgery may kill them, but they have evaluated that they were willing to take that risk. And so him looking at his risk in his patients and then his risk in like deciding to operate on someone's children, whether outcomes it could be, dire either way you know you could live or you could live with brain damage or you could be fine like imagine those three scenarios 
So he looks at it from that point of view, but then he extends it into so many areas of life. So to kind of deduce what I really took from that book, he proposes this decision-making framework, which is really simple, but that's what I needed. And he kind of, if you can imagine a quadrant, four boxes, the first one would be the benefits, the first two, the benefits if you do do this decision, um, the benefits if you don't make the decision. So let's talk about something easy like going on a holiday. So the benefits that you do, um, you'll feel refreshed. The best possible scenario is you'll have this fantastic time. You will be rested when you go back to work. The best thing that can happen if you don't, well, great, you might save $3,000. That could be useful for something else in the future. Uh, You haven't missed time at work, so you're on top of your projects. The other best thing is that, you know, you saved money and, you know, maybe you can put that leave towards next year. So looking at there's two different best outcomes here if you do or you don't. And then he looked at the worst if you do and the worst if you don't. So the worst that you can happen is you do is you should go, you have an awful time because you can't stop thinking about work. Um, You've lost $3,000. It wasn't that fun. And then the worst that could happen if you don't is, well, you don't feel refreshed. You just get burned out. So that may seem like you're getting a lot more things, but that process of like categorizing these fears that you have about things or the opportunities about them, he calls it a best worst analysis. Uh, And I've applied that to so many things since now, like getting a car, buying a car, well, there's opportunity cost of having the money versus spending the money. Then there's the opportunities and cost of, you know, having a vehicle that gets all the mobility. Then there's the risk of buying a cheaper car with different levels of safety and probably will cost more in repairs yeah so there's all these elements because i don't think you need this for everyday decisions like should i buy brown bread or white bread um (laughs) (laughs) i can imagine people in the supermarket like getting out the bed and paper (laughs) drawing a list okay so what are the benefits i had extra fiber but (laughs) it would taste bad (laughs) oh you you like brown bread it's not my favorite but anyway (laughs) i resisted brown bread my whole childhood life and then I realized that I loved it and now I only buy oh, brown bread. That's then you have no bad no bad side to that. I know. If you can just move through the the risks and the worst part, you'll be fine. <laughs> but you've so you've applied this in your life. Yeah, so I've applied this to bigger decisions. So buying a car, um, choosing whether to do postgraduate study, choosing whether to move out. These kind of big scenarios where you, it's important to weigh up the different options. And I've just found it a really good simplified thing. You'll often find that if you exaggerate in each box, like, of course, you know, the worst case scenario if you went on a holiday is that it could be awful. But then you kind of you kind of see which things are rational or not. You might be worried that your holiday is going to be awful and that's probably not going to be the case. Mm. So you kind of you can put it on paper and then just go, oh, wow, that sounds irrational. And it's funny, but you can you're more like your fears and what sort of outside of reality becomes more apparent and then you can kind of cross it off and dismiss it as not important to your decision process or the opportunity of you know being vulnerable and telling someone that you are interested in them as more than a friend like you can apply it to that scenario well the benefit could be enormous I mean when your fiance started you know pursuing you as in a dating relationship Well, the benefit for him is extraordinary. Like that's the best case scenario is that this person, this woman is going to be the one that I love and I date and I marry and that she'll accept me and then we'll build a life together. You know, the scary side of that would have been, 
I could be rejected here. It could not go well. It could be awful. So there's always this, that's where the risk comes in. And it's, if we never take risks, we never avail ourselves to the opportunities and the benefits that come off risk. So for me, it was like reassessing risk as not being bad, but really acknowledging the opportunities that a risk can bring and getting that courage by looking at the possibilities here. So Gem, we're almost at the end of the podcast, but before we go, I wanted to ask, what is something you really enjoyed about this week? Okay, so this week I worked really hard for four days, but I had one day off and I feel like that was the most beautiful day. It was like a midweek Saturday. I dropped my little brother to school. I saw my Nana. I called a friend and we had guests over for dinner. And that was such a highlight day just in the midst of all the busyness. One thing I particularly enjoyed about having the dinner party was I took a risk (laughs) and decided instead of buying pizza bases for our homemade pizza night, I should just experiment with us rolling our own dough. I was really surprised, actually. I didn't know that you were going to do that. So when you came home and said you were going to make the dough, I was like, oh, wow. And then you're also like, how long do people come around? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry for not trusting you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I trusted myself at that point either. It was like... We, it was about 70 minutes till the guests arrived and the recipe said 50 minutes. And everyone knows who's done any recipes that if the Especially recipe... the first time doing something. <laughs> if the recipe says 30 minutes, it's lying. Yes. <laughs> because the recipe list of ingredients is like, you know, 30 minutes itself of like pre-chopping vegetables. Oh, let me just get out this chopped capsicum that I bought at the shop. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of, you know, work before you even start. Anyway, but it wildly worked beyond my expectation. It was shorter than I thought. We had all the ingredients um, and it became a really fun element when we invited our guests in to be like, hey, we're just going to have fun and make this together. And we spun the dough and did kneading. It was just good fun. It was a lot of fun. So I enjoyed the risk (laughs) that paid off in terms of trying something new that actually added a lot of fun to it and yeah I think I'll be making pizza dough again yay well I'll certainly happily eat it thanks (laughs) how about you what was special this week something I really enjoyed this week actually is um you working out with me which was so nice we've been um we've both as you know been trying to be a little bit healthier and I've been doing a program called Keep It Cleaner, um, which just gives you a daily workout every day and always has a meal plan. But I've mostly just been doing the workouts for a few months now. And over the last couple of weeks, you've been doing with them with me like every single day, which has just made it so much more fun and more motivating for me. I think I work harder when you're there. But yeah, I've just really appreciated having you there to do them with me. So thanks. That's that was so really nice. nice. <laughs> I think there's a beautiful visual element of just when you're dead after a set, but then you look over and the other person's also like a starfish on the floor yeah. and you're just both like, oh, <laughs> that you just connect and it's like, yeah, we're doing it. It's a bonding experience. It is. <laughs> it is. It's been really fun to watch our bodies get stronger. And, yeah. you know, we used to just laugh and roll our eyes when they were like, now, if you want to add eight kilograms to this set, you're very welcome to. Yeah. We're like... 
okay, hang on there. <laughs> we're and now we actually do. are. And now we're like, oh, do we have any heavier weights than this? Yeah, we're like sharing the heavy weights. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm not sure how long these ribs will take to heal. So I think you might end up getting stronger than me over the next couple of weeks. Ooh, and then I will have to work to catch up to you. Maybe I can just bench you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure recording this podcast with you, Jen. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We hope wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you just have the most beautiful day. If you'd like to get in touch with us or tell us how you found the podcast, you're very welcome to send us an email at ourstrulypodcast at g- gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Yes, we would. And I think that's all from us today. Have a beautiful day, beautiful week, and do something kind to someone today. And ours truly. Bye. Bye. (laughs)